Hey, this is Greg. And Zach. Welcome back to the Harvestgate podcast. This week, we'll be talking about Harvestgate's mission statement. Uh, you may have heard it in the outro of the first podcast. That is, of course, connecting faith to families, communities, and marketplaces. We're also going to talk about our first financial update, sort of lay out some goals and our current timeline, and break down some upcoming events to add to your calendar. Uh, but Zach, to get started this week, I thought since we're part coffee house, we should take a moment to talk about coffee. Yeah. Uh, so what are you brewing today, Greg? Well, well, I'm brewing what I brewed yesterday, actually. I'm drinking what I brewed yesterday, which is uh, iced coffee or cold coffee. So Emily and I like to brew our coffee the night before and stick it in the fridge so that it's ice cold first thing in the morning. Uh uh, refreshing, kind of wakes you up a little bit, but no ice, so it's not watered down. So you get, you know, full high octane effect. Okay, I'm picking up what you're putting down. That's How about you? I am drinking from my local coffee house that I love, River Road Coffee House. Shout out uh, to River Road. Shout out to River Road. And I am drinking my regular, which is a regular latte with two packets of Sweet and Low. And so. It is delicious. I recommend River Road if you ever get the chance to go there and in Newark and Granville, Ohio. And we've, of course, had many of our conversations at River Road, and I, I recall that being kind of your, your regular order as well. Yeah, that's uh, where our friendship started to blossom. Blossom like the uh, design on the top of your latte, if I recall. That's true. They're that good. <laughs> oh, very good. All right, well, let's dive in. We got a lot to talk about this week. Uh, we want to really break down the mission statement of Harvestgate. And uh, as I stated before, that mission statement is connecting faith to families, communities, and marketplaces. Uh, how did you, uh, how, how, where did that mission statement come from? How did it sort of originate? Yeah, so I think that our mission statement answers the question of why. Why generally tends to be a question that people are, there's an issue, and they want to know why that issue exists and how to resolve it. And so our mission statement, connecting faith to families, communities, and marketplaces, answers that why question. Seems like so much uh, in Christianity, at least in America today, seems disconnected from faith. And so we almost look at uh, life in three or four different domains here in America. We have we have like our faith, and then we have like things that we do in our family, and then we have things that we do in the community or through the community, and then the things that we do at our jobs or our workplaces. And those things are often disconnected. They're sort of independent of each other. Yeah, and I, I've found that a lot of people who are disenfranchised from the church or who just don't care for the church all that much, they would say that there is a disconnect between what people say it is that they believe and how they actually act in these different places of life. Yeah. So, uh, Greg, as as one of those people, potentially, have you found us to be the case that sometimes people's faith is disconnected from the rest of the area of their life? Yeah, I mean, I think I've had uh, uh, friendships or relationships with people that, you know, were it not for the fact that you maybe know that they go to church or someone told you that they regularly attend church or something like that, that you would have no idea based on their actions and how they live their life that that 
is actually something that's important to them uh, or that their faith influences their everyday life or the decisions that they make. Yeah, we would call that cultural Christianity, meaning that um, I am a Christian simply because I grew up in a place that has Christian values. And so, yeah, I don't really practice it. I go to church every once in a while, maybe on Christmas and Easter, maybe Maybe I go more frequently than that. Maybe I go every Sunday, but it's disconnected from the rest of my life. Maybe it's like a a sort of pick-me-up, a feel-good message to start your week or something. Exactly. And so what tends to happen, or what what I have seen even in my lifetime, I'm relatively young, but I have seen that church is a place that you go on a given day of the week— and that is the extent of what it of of our faith a lot of times, right? Um, and so, but I believe that in I, this is rooted really in biblical principles that everything we do should be viewed through the lens of our faith. Um, we're told in First Corinthians chapter ten verse thirty one, uh, Paul says this. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Um, Paul, again, tells us in Colossians chapter 3, he says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and then a couple of verse later, verses later in Colossians 3.23, he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. And then, uh, so this is all informed by Jesus's words when Jesus was walking here on the earth. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And it seems, like I said, Greg, that everything should be viewed from the lens of faith. Well, what tends to happen is... Faith is relegated to a certain day of the week, at a certain place, and maybe if you're really spiritual, someplace uh, in the midweek. So what we want to do, we want to be a a church, uh, a a network of people who view all of life through the lens of faith. So we say it, that we're connecting our faith— to our families? How do we view our families in light of our faith? How do we view and live in our communities? And that could be uh, a really big community. That could be the, the town or the village or the city that you live in. Yeah, and your next door neighbor. It could be your next door neighbor. It could be uh, just your group of friends. It could be whatever. Yeah. Uh, but then also in the marketplace, in our vocations and our jobs, whether you're a stay-at-home mother or whether you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, we think that all of life should be viewed through those uh, through that faith lens. So the sort of connection between faith and trying to to you know build those connections to those different places. You know, maybe give me an example, like in your community, let's say, or in the community around the coffee house. You know, in the future where we're hoping to uh, settle down there. Uh, how do you take you know that and build that connection? Yeah. If you remember from our last podcast, we had talked about how the church is supposed to exist for the community. 
And this is kind of what informs our name of Harvest Gate. Yeah. And we say that the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. Um, but then there's also, Jesus says that I am the gate, none who come to the Father come uh, except through me. Uh, but then there's the deeper meaning of the word faith, or of sorry, of gate, um, where the church was a gathering of people, uh, much like the people who gathered at the gate to bring value, wisdom, and clarity. Like the, there would be town elders who would gather at the gate. And that ga- gathering was meant to bring clarity and value to their city. So uh, we are hoping that as a faith community, that we would bring value to our city. And in this case, it's Columbus. Right now we live in Newark, Ohio. Yeah. And we want to bring value to Newark, Ohio, but we also want to bring value to wherever it is that we live. So uh, we are, our big goal, our big dream is that we want to have a transforming presence in every zip code in Columbus, and there are 49 zip codes in Columbus. So we believe that that means that we should be uh, joining in on what I would call kingdom endeavors, Helping children, like helping to decrease the uh, illiteracy rate in Columbus, helping to feed uh, people who are hungry, yeah, caring for the orphans and the widows and the strangers. Uh, these are these are all different people groups that God says throughout Scripture that we should care for. Um, so, on a more practical way, this could be mean that. I live uh, in a home, and my next-door neighbor is an elderly woman who is a widow, and let's say her front porch is rotting out. We would hopefully come together as a community, um, uh, as a faith community, and and help her rebuild her porch. And we – so all of the tithes and offerings that come in through the church – 40% 40% of that would go to what I would call local missions. Okay. 40% would go to foreign missions, and then 20% would be for operational cost. So in most churches today, if, if you're pretty healthy financially, roughly 40% of your budget goes towards paying staff members. Yeah. Maybe another 30 to 40% goes to paying for your facilities and your t- utilities and things like that. Churches tend to be in very large buildings. Yes. Those aren't cheap. Um, uh, up, you know, even just running costs, even if you've paid off your mortgage, you know, to heat it, to power everything. I mean, that's going to cost some some big bucks. It is. And so so you're left with 20, well, 20 to 30% to actually minister to people. Yeah. And I heard a study uh, where somebody went and looked at church budgets, and uh, they did church budgets, com- uh, how much a church budget was compared to how many people were baptized. Mm. And they f- so they, they found that the average cost, if you will, to get somebody baptized is around one and a half million dollars. <laughs> That seems a bit steep. It seems a bit steep. <laughs> um, and our hope is that we can, through through the generosity of those who are in our faith community, mm-hmm. uh, that we can bless our community. So we would take money from our local missions of, of that 40%, and we would go and buy material and 
And we hopefully in our in our faith community, we, we would be able to have somebody who has expertise in building and all they need is hands. Yeah. So then we would go next door and we would build, you know, a, a, a new porch for her or whatever the case might be. It might be raking leaves. It might be, you know, it doesn't have to be a building project, but it could just be generally helping our yeah. community. Well, and you know, that concept of, or that scenario of, you know, uh, uh, an elderly neighbor with something that they can't, you know, that, that needs to be done to help them. I think anyone, if you ask them, would you be on board with supporting that personally? Would you want your local government to support that? Would you want, you know, local community members to help them with that? Or would you yourself, if you were that neighbor, help them? I think everyone would answer yes. But in reality, that so often doesn't actually happen. Um, you know, I think it's important to find ways to, and that's one of the things that I connect with most about this project is that, you know, it doesn't matter whether you, you know, believe or don't believe a certain thing. If you want to do good, just go do it. You know, uh, if you're kind of on the fence thinking about like, oh, should I, should I volunteer to, to help someone with something or, uh, support my local food pantry or a homeless shelter or whatever, make it happen, get involved with that kind of stuff and make a difference in your community. Cause we're the people that live there. We're the only ones that can, you know, make a difference. Yeah, exactly. And, and so from, from a pastoral standpoint, this is a great opportunity for in this scenario, this elderly woman, she, she might say something like, why in the world would you do this? And this is a great opportunity for me then to share my love of Jesus and to share the love of, of, of Christ with the world. Yeah. Um, and so I think that we, we have this perception that to share Jesus with people, we need to go and we need to stand on street corners and we need to, uh, and I'm not necessarily against those kinds of things, but I think through genuine love and serving of our neighbors, it allows to open up for really great conversation around faith. Um, so connecting faith to our community can take any kind of number of things. And one thing that I want to make sure that we're careful about within within Harvestgate, and this would just probably be a, a a caution to all churches anywhere, is that we don't do things uh, to grow the church necessarily. That's not our responsibility. It can be a, a byproduct of the good work that you do. It can be part of uh, uh, you know sort of sort of representing your faith through the actions that you take or representing your organization through what you do and showing people your character and, and that being sort of the selling point rather than a hard sales pitch, you know, directly to someone, you know, come, come join us. I mean, obviously we want that, but I think if you, if you don't set a, an example to be representative of that, then why should people want to follow you? Yeah, exactly. And People hate feeling like projects. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if if I did something, if like if I went and I, like if, if we didn't know each other, Greg, and I were to do something and you felt like I was doing it to manipulate you to believe a certain way, we probably wouldn't be friends. Well, I think there was, I don't want to say that there was ever a time in our relationship where that was a thing. Uh, because it wasn't, but I think there were 
times early on where you know, like I would talk to Emily about it or I would think to myself like 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 are we just becoming like really good friends or am I a like a faith project like here here's a not necessarily a vocal unbeliever but somebody who's very clear about how they feel and and comfortable in that and like can I make changes to that and I really really respected the fact that that was never the case like we had many conversations about church and Jesus and you know religion and spirituality in general and there was never any pressure for me to believe something different than I believed to validate our relationship or our friendship or something like that so I think that is a, a really you know you kind of demonstrated that it didn't matter what my belief was we could like you you were showing I guess you know your your love of Jesus through just being a friend and being uh, a positive influence with no sort of underlying motive. Yeah, and I don't know if you remember this, but I said like, you know, Greg, I I want you to believe what I believe, uh, but our friendship is not relegated to whether or not you end up believing what I believe. Yeah, it's I'm, not it's not conditioned on that. Yeah, and so. Our hope is, is that through just loving people, that they will come into knowing the love of Christ and the love uh, that that he has given for us. Yeah. So then it's not our responsibility as the church to make sure that the church grows. We can, you know, maybe, maybe on a micro level, you know, hey, I'm going to become friends with Greg so that he can become a Christian. <laughs> uh, on, on, so that might be like... Uh, that might be one scenario, but on a macro level and the church generally what we do is, hey, we're going to serve these people so that they can come to our church. And if that happens, that's great, but that's not our, that's not our intention. We want, we want to be obedient. Jesus said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as a follower of Jesus, it's my responsibility and to, to be obedient to what it is that he said and he said to follow me and do as I do and like act as I act. And so that means that I want to serve our community. Uh, in the same way it goes, uh, talking about the other domain that we're talking about here is fa- uh, family. So how do we view our family through the lens of faith? To me, this means that um, my wife and I are in a partnership together. Uh, we are friends. Uh, we... There's there's many things that you could attribute to our relationship, yeah. Uh, but we are we're co partners. So I I I help her uh, with dishes. I help with laundry. We we, we have a partnership in our family and uh, with our children. We you know when they clean up and they don't want to, we often will say thank you for contributing to our family. Thank you for being part of our our you know, part of the Morgan team. Yeah. Shout out, by the way, to the Morgan kids who Emily, my wife, and I were hanging out at your place where you guys had date night last night, uh, which was great. And the kids cleaned up superbly. Uh, and maybe the only, they, they might have, in fact, done it too well because one of Eli's toys <laughs> got cleaned up so well that we couldn't find it. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully that turns up. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> um, but so within our family, it's not that we just sit down and we're like, all right, it's time. Like, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, and we do do this. 
but it's not like, all right, kids, now it's time to read our Bible. We read, we read the Bible and we, uh, we'll talk about those kinds of things, but when, when issues of life and death and love and respect and whatever the case may be happens in our family, we, and, and even discipline, we discipline through the lens of our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily in a manipulative kind of way, like, well, Jesus would be very sad about that. And so, uh, like, we <laughs> That's don't... kind of like uh, how people use Santa Claus for yeah. Christmas, yeah. And I'm going to throw one You're of your gifts on away every list. time to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we don't want to do that, but, you know, there's been many times where my kids have been... Um, they've been deserving of a pretty harsh punishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've said, I'm going to choose right now to show you mercy. And rather than, you know, grounding you or, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever the form of punishment is, yeah, this is what you deserve, um, but I love you enough that I'm not going to do it right now. I'm going to show you mercy. And what happens a lot of times is the realize of the undeservingness of that, it breaks them more than maybe the punishment would. <laughs> like I deserved a, a greater punishment than I received. Yeah. It, yeah. I des- I deserve this punishment, but what I actually received was mercy and love. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't punish our kids. We certainly do. But, um, but I, I believe that this is the same thing that Jesus does. Jesus says uh, in Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. That's in John 10, 10. So, so we might be deserving of one thing, but Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to give you grace and mercy. And I, I kind of define grace and mercy this way. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what it is that you do deserve. Yeah. And so we try to, uh, in our family, we try to extend grace and mercy to, to everyone. Um, so maybe that's how, just a, a quick example of how, um, of how our faith plays out in our family context. And that can be a challenge to, like in the heat of the moment, you know, when, when the action that deserves some sort of discipline has just taken place, you have to have that sort of self-awareness and, and control to think about like, how do I want to act in this moment? What example am I setting? Um, you know, and I think you're teaching your kids a lot about your character and, and of course, where you get that character from um, and the choices that you make and the values that you have. So I think that's really important. Yeah. And you say that I, I should be clear, uh, far from perfect, um, because on those moments where in the heat of the moment, I don't respond the way that yeah. that my faith informs. I then have to do some repenting. Repenting uh, is, uh, you may have heard it before, but repenting is essentially the act of, uh, of turning away from, like turning 180 degrees. Yeah. Um, so I might have to do some repenting. First, it might be to God. Then it's to my children. And that's a humbling thing. Yeah. Every uh, parent listening is nodding their head, including me. Uh, you know, and, and maybe not even recognizing like the term repent or exactly what it means, but I've had plenty of instances where my initial reaction to something that Eli did, um, you know, is, is not the reaction that I would want. Uh, and, and I'll almost immediately have to kind of stop and, 
and sometimes even just sort of, you know, explain to him in that moment, okay, you know, daddy apologizes, (laughs) is sorry for, you know, raising my voice or, or whatever it was to, uh, let him know that I can, I'm like, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, uh, but I can recognize those mistakes or be aware of those. And just because I made the mistake doesn't mean that I have to live with that, like, or commit to it permanently. Mm-hmm. I can, I can say, you know what, that was the wrong thing to do. And I acknowledge that. And, you know, let's, let's try and talk about it in a different way. Or, yeah. I think anyone who's a parent, uh, which, which I have three children under the age of, uh, six and younger, uh, yeah. you have a son who, how old is Eli? Eli's four. He'll four? be five in April. Awesome. Um, uh, anyone who has children, has probably done something and to go, well, they'll be able to talk to their therapist about that in about 15 <laughs> or 20 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so to, just simply saying, listen, daddy did not respond, what, right? And it was, it was not okay for me to, to respond the way that I did. Yeah. And it, it was not loving. It was not caring. I, I lost my temper, whatever the case might be. And what that does is it helps our children to understand that it's it's okay to make mistakes, but it's not okay to live in those mistakes and just to perpetuate them. Yeah. Uh, I've heard it said this way. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. <laughs> right. Well, that's, there's a little bit of like pride in that, right? Where you don't want to admit that you made a mistake, even though you know that you're wrong or you know that, uh, that you want to change that behavior or that action or something, but you're unwilling to admit that, you know, to the people that may have been affected by that or to yourself. Yeah, especially uh, to your children. You're like, I, I, I don't need to do this to you because uh, I made you. And, <laughs> right. uh, but, uh, but throughout Scripture, it says to honor one another and to submit to one another. And I think that that's what that is. It, it doesn't mean that I, I give up all of the quote-unquote authority that I have in my family. Right, but it does mean that uh, that when I'm wrong, I need to admit it, and I need to repent of that and ask forgiveness of my children. One of the uh, from the time that my every single one of my children was conceived until the day that I die, this has been my prayer for them. Uh, my children's name are, are, are Lily, Isaac, and, and Naomi, but my prayer goes something like this: Father, thank you for Lily, Isaac, and Naomi. Uh, May they know you from an early age and grow to know you. May their faith never uh, falter. May they understand grace, mercy, and love as I understand grace, mercy, and love, but without having to go through all the stupid things that I went through to understand (laughs) those things. Yeah. And then I pray over them, you know, let, let my children be a powerful voice in your kingdom. May there be millions of people who come to know you because of their obedience and because of their faith. Um, and I mean, that's kind of the hope. We, we want our children to be better than we are, right? To yeah. do better in life too. Uh, I want them to have a stronger faith than I do. Well, that's a common sentiment that people have. And I think everyone says that, but how many people are taking actions to make that happen? Yep. You know, investing in education in the community in Place, safe places for kids to gather and be kids and not have to experience, you know, the the reality of the real world maybe earlier than, you know, than they'd be prepared for. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, I mean, Eli already at, <laughs> at four years old has had to go through the sort of uh, uh, process of when my wife and I had our, our most recent miscarriage at like 20 weeks, Eli had already well understood that he was going to have a sister, that this whole process was ongoing and we were building it up and we wanted him to be a big brother and he was going to do great. And then the rug gets pulled out from under that and we have to try and explain to him when he's only just turned four, I think at the time, uh, exactly what all of that meant and, you know, how, you know, that's not something I think anyone would want to do, but, you know, we tried to do that and Emily, you know, uh, did a great job of helping him understand that whole process and what happened and why things are different now. And maybe as best as he can understand as a four-year-old, you know, but we, I think we always want to protect our children from these sorts of things that can happen or, or whatever. So I think, you know, how can we use Harvestgate as a platform for that is, you know, living our family life the way that we would want it to be lived out in every other, you know, facet of life in a, in a positive, impactful way. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think what happens in, especially in the church in America, we tend to leave the faith stuff to the children's programs on Sunday mornings. I'm not against children's ministries or uh, kids church or anything like that. Yeah. However, uh, it, it becomes, it becomes essentially like a, a babysitter for us. And we were like, well, they're learning everything they need to know about, about faith and, you know, Jesus and all those kinds of things in Sunday school. So I don't really need to, and I don't want to abdicate our responsibility as a family unit of, of sharing the love yeah. of, of Jesus with, with them. So let's transition over to marketplaces. How are we sort of building, uh, bridging that gap? Yeah. So, so Jesus says a lot about money. Actually, the Bible says a lot about money. Apart from uh, God as the subject, money is spoken about most in the Bible compared to any other topic. And so uh, what we see is we see this, uh, the pendulum swing, right? So uh, we say things like, well, capitalism is bad and uh, we should just, uh, you know, we should... And just give all of our money away, and like you know, there's like there's there's so like it's so polarized. Or God's blessing comes through financial blessing. Like there's there's all of these different kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but the Bible is not against prosperity. Yeah. Um, but he but the Bible and and God is against uh, the poor treatment of of those who have less. Yeah. He wants, uh, and, and so again, you can you can go to extremes on this. You can say, well, all of capitalism is bad because of this. Now, I don't believe that the Bible is against capitalism. Uh, what I do believe that the Bible is against is unfair practices that make the poor get poorer, uh, or that the rich get richer off of the backs of the poor. Yeah. And so, how do we take? Um, what I would call biblical uh, stewardship principles, uh, stewarding, uh, you know, simply just the act of, of handling something that somebody, you know, if you gave me money, yeah, say, hey, hold on to this for a while, like do, you know, do something good with it. 
Yeah. Uh, how I handle that is called stewardship. Um, but biblical stewardship principles, how do we, how do we manage that? Um, and not only as it pertains to money, but as it pertains to people. So as a business, how am I treating my employees? Am I giving them fair wages or am I paying them very poorly so that I can get very rich? I think we all know how that often works in, in our society today. Yes. Yeah. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer and the middle class uh, diminishes. Evaporates. Evaporates, yeah. yeah. Um, so I believe that that prosperity uh, should be for the entire city. Again, there there's – there's a there's an ugly I would call it heresy within within Christianity of the, the prosperity gospel that God just wants you to be rich and He wants to you know here's your jumbo jet and all those kinds of things, <laughs> um, and it what I what I find through prosperity gospel it's usually only the people who are preaching prosperity gospel that are prospering. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, that's not what I'm talking about. I believe so. I think that when we use biblical stewardship principles, um, that it is good for everyone. Yeah. In the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, uh, you know, especially it lays out for the, for the, for the Israelites, this system that is completely upside down from any world system that has ever been. And that is that every seven years, your debts are forgiven. So everyone who has college loans is like, hey, please reinstate that. Um, yeah. So if, if you and I had a – like if, if I loaned you money uh, and it's not paid off at the end of seven years, once that seven years is up, it, it's done. Um, and then every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, what they would do uh, is all property would be restored back to the original landowner, to the family. Um, and, and so it's this – it's this process where we say, listen, we're not against prosperity, but we are against uh, injustice. We are against uh, people getting rich off of slave labor or close to slave labor. So, yeah. so how do we take our faith and apply this to, uh, to the workplace? On, on one level, as, a, as an entrepreneurial business owner, it means that we, we practice good business business ethics. Yeah. And that we're generous with our uh with our customers, that we're generous with our employees. Uh not only just financially, but that we we treat them well, that we let them know that they are loved and cared for. Um that our faith would inform all of these things. That just as I show my kids grace, mercy and love, I want to show my employees grace, mercy and love. And I think there's a lot of things to be said about business ethics on that because so many businesses these days are finding ways to, you know, eke out every penny they can from the consumer by, you know, cleverly downsizing the the actual packaging, putting less in, you know, like I have a, uh, I won't say where it's from, but I have a, a granola bar that we really like to get at our local grocery store. And the box very clearly, comfortably would fit six granola bars because that's how they fit into the box. But it only comes with five. And there's a gap, a granola bar-sized gap, where a sixth one obviously would be. Yeah. And I'm quite certain if I went back to that grocery store five years ago, there were six in that box. Yeah. And it's now the same price. Yeah. You know, So those sort of deceptive, dishonest tactics that businesses use 
are the sort of things that I look forward to not seeing at our coffee house because we want it to be, uh, you know, an honest business and and living out the same values and principles that we have in everything else that we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as as an employee, uh, what this looks like is, well, not only for employees, but for the business as a whole, you practice really, really good work. Um, and because that's not always the case. We do generally the bare minimum of whatever we do. Uh, but imagine what would happen is if Christians around the world, if we practiced really good work, if you are a plumber and you do really, really good work, or if you are an IT guy and you do really, really good work, or if you're a stay-at-home mother, you do really, really good work. That, to me, says far more, because uh, there, again, there can be a disconnect. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they are someone who is outspoken about their faith at work. Hey, Jesus loves you, blah, blah, blah. But they do really crappy work. Mm, not, not really setting a good example. Not for their coworkers, not for their employer, not for the customer. Right. And so there's a disconnect. Everything that we do should be done with excellence. Everything that we do, again, not perfection. There's a difference between perfection and excellence. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think that a lot of it just comes down to how we do in our work. Just going back to those, uh, those Bible verses that I pointed, pointed out earlier. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Um, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Uh, in, your, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see the good work, see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Um, we're called to do really good work. And um, and taking ownership uh, of those kinds of things. So, I think that um, is a good place to kind of conclude on our mission statement: connecting faith to families, communities, and marketplaces, and trying to to see how Harvestgate is striving to, you know, really build a connection between each of those and let faith and those values uh, and the way that we you know, live in that space affect every other uh, place that we're going to be involved in. I think that's really uh, uh, a good way to to explain sort of what we stand for. Yeah, and I should just make a quick note here that this is not something that only Harvestgate is doing. There's lots of businesses, there's lots of families, there's lots of community members who are doing really, really good things. Absolutely. And so this isn't like, oh, we're the only ones who have this figured out. And we don't have it figured out. Uh, we're, we're, we're striving for these things, uh, but this is just kind of the culture that we want to create. We're not trying to belittle anybody or say that uh, some businesses are bad or anything like that. Uh, so I just want to make that clear. Except for the ones that are. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk uh, about a couple things here uh, to wrap up today. We want to talk um, uh, financial update uh, and uh, maybe just a uh, kind of rundown on our goals, our timeline. Uh, it's currently January 24th. Um, where are we now? Where do we want to be? Yeah, so we have one big goal. It uh, is big. It, it is big. And when I think of it, it terrifies me, to be to be honest. Um, but that goal is to raise $150,000. We believe that um, through that money that we can – launch Harvestgate Coffee House, 
uh, to start being a faithful presence in the in the community. Yeah. Um, but then that would also give us six months of operating cost. Um, and again, you might be thinking, well, why are we just funding your business? Um, it's a good question and a fair question. Yeah. Yes, it is a business, but I view it more as a mission. We are we're taking God's kingdom to uh, to Columbus. It's already there. It's already existing. To patrons of coffee, <laughs> yeah. uh, but we want to be another uh, another outpost of the kingdom. Yeah, and so um, oftentimes missionaries will go to another country and they will go and start a business there, and that's their in with the community, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so we we view this as a uh, as a mission. I've had people say, "Well, why don't you just get a business loan?" And that certainly is a possibility. However. Um, if I get a business loan, then I've just relegated my f- myself to the fact that this is just a business. I don't want it to be just a business. I want it to be more than that. I want it to be a, an outpost of the kingdom of God. The other thing too is we need partnerships. Yeah. I don't we want to do, do this. Can't do it ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. Um, I don't want to do it ourselves. Uh, if this is going to be a kingdom endeavor, I want, I want kingdom people to have an investment in it. Yeah. Um, and so it, it doesn't just mean financial uh, partnership. We need prayer. We need um, expertise. We need support. We need you to uh, share this podcast with your friends and family and loved ones and even your enemies. Share it with them too. Um, yeah. um, so $150,000 is our big goal. Uh, we have a... Uh, maybe like a benchmark goal of $80,000. We believe uh, through conversations with our uh, coffee experts that we can launch Harvestgate Coffee House for about $80,000. Yeah. Um, but again, we want to have about six months of operating costs so that we can have, you know, in case of a slow start or, you know, just kind of yeah. learning. Pay employees. Yeah, and those kinds of things. Those are important. That is important. We want, we want to be good in business uh, ethically minded in our business. There we go. Yeah. Um, so, so to reach those goals, we have uh, monthly goals. Our goal for January is to raise twenty thousand dollars. Our goal for February is to raise twenty five thousand dollars. Our goal for March is to raise seventy five thousand um, dollars. We're hoping that by April we have enough where we can begin to secure a location for the coffee house and begin build out for a launch in hopefully June. So that's where we are there. Um, so a way that you can do that, you can go to our website, www.harvestgate.org slash take hyphen action. And not just take action. Yes. Take hyphen yeah. action. That's a dash. Yeah. Not, not the word. Hyphen. Don't that write would, out yeah. hyphen. Yeah, that would be weird. Yeah. Um, but if you go to harvestgate.com, or sorry, .org slash take action, you can find different ways to give there. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter. You can subscribe to our podcast. Which we should point out is now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and... Coming mm, soon, iHeartRadio. And uh, Google Podcasts. Yes. So that's exciting. 
And uh, so in May, we're going to be having, uh, we're calling it the Harvest Gate Scramble. For those of you golf lovers out there, you can come out to the Trout Club uh, in Newark, Ohio. Uh, we will be having a uh, a golf scramble for all you golf enthusiasts. And there's going to be some cool hole-in-one prizes. We're going to have some giveaways. Uh, of course, all the usual uh, accoutrements that come with that. Longest drive, longest putt, yeah. uh, closest to the pin, all those kinds of things as well. Uh, and then we've also got er, sort of early days planning uh, an event uh, over the next couple of months. Gently used women's clothing sale. Uh, if you've got old clothes that you would like to donate, again, it's women's clothing only. Uh, start going through your closet. We'll keep you updated on when that's going to come out. Um, uh, anything that we don't sell is going to, of course, be donated for a good cause. So uh, anything anything you can give to that, we appreciate it. Last note, uh, other ways that you can support Harvest Gate uh, is supporting us through uh, joining our prayer team on our website. Uh, uh, where's that on, on HarvestGate.org? It's also on the Take Action page. So... We, our goal is to have 300, we call them prayer and share partners by the time that we launch, hopefully in June. So if you are interested in joining our prayer team, check us out, sign up for that, and we will be sending out updates as to how you can specifically be praying for us. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Harvestgate podcast. Uh, check out our website and social media. Lots of stuff coming down the pipeline. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. Zach. It's been fun. Follow us on social media at HarvestGate Network. There are several ways you can engage with us and support the HarvestGate Network at HarvestGate.org. You can subscribe to the HarvestGate Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you're as excited as we are about this project, please consider supporting us by sharing, joining our prayer team, or donating on our website. Thanks for listening to the HarvestGate Podcast, connecting faith to families, communities, and marketplaces.